what will we be? What will we be? Okay? I think many of us know what we want to be. But we have to continue to ask ourselves very personal questions. The church is made up of many parts that are brought together, okay, to be a whole, to achieve a singular objective. And um, if we can't be divided in that. And so we, this is what we've been talking about. So let's, by way of review, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. For whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Listen, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Having the same conflict which He saw in me, and now, and now here to be in me. So the very first thing that we talked about was whether or not we're going to be timid in our approach to sharing the gospel, or we're going to be bold. And for Kaya, we want our makeup to be boldness. And we have to put away fear, and we have to put away insecurity, and we have to put away our timidness in order to choose sharing the gospel. And we will not let any man or any entity or any being distract us or terrify us from doing that work. But that is a decision that has to be made. That's a decision that has to be made. You can't just have mental assent to that as an idea. You have to practice it. And you have to live in such a way that contradicts your fears. And all of us in this room are struggling with different insecurities, things that, that tend to stand in the way or get in the way of us doing that work. And you know what your thing is. And we must address it in faith. We must expose it. We must pray about it. We must be honest about it. And we must choose to know our weaknesses and live in light of the strength of Jesus Christ instead. That's what we must do. If we're going to be what God wants us to be. Yeah, you're already dead. You're not hearing me. I can tell. Verse 2. I'm sorry, not verse 2. I didn't copy and paste that right. Or did I? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Our key point, number 2, is Kai is only as strong as our personal decision to adore unity. And I think this is a big one for us, because I think coming into this retreat... There was disunity, and there has been disunity that we've had to grapple with and work through. Little things here and there, things that stand in the way of our relationship with one another, that stand to divide us and keep us from pursuing the Lord and living out the gospel. And those things are going to continue to arise. Okay, you understand that, right? That each week that passes, there are going to be moments where you feel distant or divided, right? Or frustrated by ministry. You're going to struggle to submit. Why? Because you have flesh. And as these things come up, you have to choose to submit yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ and choose unity over division. This is a conscientious decision to make. Okay? We must be of the same love. Okay? We must be of one accord. Okay? 
by, by one accord, what we're talking about is that we have to, we have to be together and singular in our focus. And we must be of one mind. That's Christ's mind. That's what we've been talking about. Now, as we move forward today in part two of this message, Paul continues to instruct us on the matter of the mind. All right, so let's look at verse three. Are we ready? I'm going to pray again. I'm going to pray again. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I would just ask that you be present with us right now. I know that people stayed up till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, people told me that they just struggled with sleeping. Uh, some of them have struggled with sleep because they're struggling to meet with you, to hear your voice. Others are struggling just because they're out of their sleep pattern or they're, they're sleeping in a new bed. Uh, or whatever our deficiency is this morning, Lord, would you come and meet us? Would you awaken us in our spirit? Would you help us to hear you with fresh ears, with simplicity of mind? Lord, that we would come to you as children prepared for their Father to instruct us. Would you help us, Lord? Awaken us right now. Lord, speak through me. In your Son's name, Amen. So Paul continues to instruct here. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Continuing to talk about this idea of unity. But in lowliness of mind. So we've, we talked about like-mindedness. Now we're talking about the lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we've got like-mindedness. And now we've got lowliness of mind. Lowering oneself so that you might elevate others higher than you. And if we don't do that, then we will fail to minister. We will fail to actually meet the needs of the people that come into our church, that are suffering, that are struggling, that need the answers to their problems, that need the salvation of Jesus Christ. We must lower ourselves. And as I look across this room, I'm even acknowledging there are people in this ministry that are, that are experts in lowering themselves. There are some of you that practice that all weekend. You put other people over yourselves all weekend in order to facilitate ministry being done. And that is the model for which we must live by. Alright, this is not a retreat activity. So, Bible study leaders, when you go home and you get phone calls late at night, and, you, and you, there's strivings in your Bible study, and there's things that need to be counseled, you don't get to think high-mindedly. You must lower yourself to the place of those young children, those babes in Christ who are struggling with simple things. And you must get on their level. You know, one of the things that I've recognized about my children is that when I speak to them, when I speak to them with authority, I speak to them like this. But when my children are struggling and they're in need and they are sad, I have to get down on my knees to meet them where they're at. There's a posturing that must take place. I must physically lower myself in order to ascend myself to where they're at. And many of us need to take a new posture in our heart as it concerns ministry. We must lower ourselves so we might help raise others up. And if we hold on to pride, if we continue to think in terms of being put out by ministry, Kaya will suffer loss. Kaya will suffer loss and we will not do the work of the ministry that God has called us to. In your thought life, give preferential treatment to the matters of other, other individuals. 
others over self. Why? Because we are, uh, if we are going to have the mind of Christ, we have to be like-minded, but we also must be low-minded. So Paul continues on and he addresses this and he, and he unfolds it by explaining the ultimate example of what it means to have a low mind. So the very first thing that we're going to address today is selfishness versus selflessness. Actually, that, that should say selflessness. I apologize. Selfishness versus selflessness. And we look at that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. <clears throat> Are you prone to put personal satisfaction over personal sacrifice? Are you prone to do that? Think about your life. Think about yourself day by day, week by week. Are you prone to put personal satisfactions over personal sacrifice? Let's get into it. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now wait a second. Now we get glimpses at the mind of Christ throughout the whole of Scripture, right? We get insight into the way that Christ thought as a divine being living on this earth. In fact, the whole of God's Word, it is God's mind to us. Right? We agree to that? Come on, amen with me a little bit this morning. The Word of God is God's mind. And it's a revelation to us of who He is. But this is a very unique moment. Because in Scripture, this is the only time that we see this kind of phrasing. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're getting a glimpse into the mind of a divine being living in flesh. You understand? This is divine insight for us. Paul is about to draw a contrast between Christ and and ourselves, the way Christ's mind work, works versus the way our mind works. This passage literally gives us instruction on how to take Christ's mind. Verse 6. We'll find here that Christ's mind was characterized by three things. Are you ready? Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now hold on for a second. Let's pause there because some of you in here aren't saved and you don't understand what this means. You don't get what this means. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God is a three-part being. There's no way of explaining that to you. God is one, but He's three parts. He has a Son. And He sent His Son into this world. That He might live a perfect life before us. Setting the most ultimate example of what it means to be holy and righteous. And His primary objective was to enter into this world and take on the sinful nature of humankind and yet live perfectly and defeat death and defeat sin by dying on our behalf. He took upon our sins by hanging on a cross and dying the death that we deserved and stepping into the void, stepping into the gap to make a way to the Father. Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, died for you. And then three days later, He defeated death. But listen here. What does it say? Who being in the form of God. In other words, 
He was equal in all ways to God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was an equal part of the triune being, God. He did not find it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He left the throne room of heaven. A place where the angels proclaimed his name and his righteousness from millennia to millennia. To come into this filthy, rotten, sinful world. And to be made of no reputation. A place where his name was on high and lifted up and magnified above, above all other name in the entire universe. And he came as a babe in a manger. We ought not ever get over that. He was determined to have no reputation. Jesus gave up his rights as the son of God and the darling of heaven that he might meet us on common ground. You know, his humility was astounding. Absolutely astounding. From the throne to eating at tables with publicans and sinners, he took upon no reputation. And these verses, if we go to the next slide, will clarify, clarify that for us. John chapter 12 verse 49 says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment that I, that, of what I should say and what I should speak. In other words, his primary objective was not to be lifted high, but was to point to the Father. That his Father in heaven might be magnified. John chapter 14, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. What an amazing example. His goal was to lower himself in obedience to bring the Father glory. But our lives, as Christians, as little Christ, our lives are so dominated by the preservation of our reputations and the preservation of our rights that the idea of sacrifice has lost all value in our common vernacular. Our society, our culture, our generation has lost all value of the meaning of sacrifice. I dare to wager that we live in the most selfish time in the history of mankind. We are, we are Laodicean through and through. We have everything that we need and we are in need, no need of the Father. And our primary objective is to make a reputation for ourselves and to make our lives convenient that we, that, that we might die knowing that we've achieved something. And some of you in this room are holding so true to that, it doesn't matter how much preaching you've heard this weekend, you are choosing your own path. Your heart is hard. 
And for even, even those of us who call ourselves leaders, as it concerns the practice of our daily lives, we seek hard to preserve our rights and to make things easier for ourselves. It's shameful. When we look at the example of Jesus Christ, it's shameful. He was also determined to be a servant. The second characteristic, determined to be a servant. And took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. You know, the form of a servant. That means that he came with the intention of serving other people, human beings. He came in the form of a servant. That's the lowest form that one can take, isn't it? There isn't much lower than a person that chooses to be a servant. He, he was determined to serve all of mankind, but more importantly, he was determined to, to serve his father, that his father might be glorified. And he was determined to die. Third, he was determined to die. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the, na the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a story, what a man. What a God that would die for us, vile and lowly creatures who have failed Him in almost every way. He served us. He loved us. And when it came to the cross, He took it willingly. And here we stand clean. Those of us who've accepted Him and have sought forgiveness, who received Him, we stand clean. Janae is a testimony of God's salvation. I don't know if you know, but Janae, this is, this is, she's been around coming to MBT for a while. And she came with Rachel to the retreat this weekend, did not know that she wasn't saved, and she accepted Jesus Christ on the steps down here yesterday. Uh, praise God for that decision, right? That's impossible if God doesn't give up His throne. Our cleanliness before Him is impossible if He doesn't take upon the form of a servant. Our righteousness is impossible if He doesn't choose death. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Peter 2.24 Who His own self bear our sins and His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should, uh, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are here, uh, ye were healed. Can't see through tears. 
First Peter 3.8 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But Paul, what does that mean for me? Why are you telling me all about this, right? I've received the gospel, I'm saved. Why are you telling this to me? No, that we might take upon the mind of Christ. This is our model. You know, sacrifice is such an easy thing to accept when it's just a concept or a word on a page. We think of sacrifice as what we do when we give up a Tuesday night to go to prayer or what we're, we're doing when we tithe. That's how we think of sacrifice. We apply it to ourselves in the quiet of our minds when we are proud of the hard work we did that day. We sit at home on a Sunday night and we think of all the ministry things that we did and we pat ourselves on the back in the quiet of our heart and we say, look at you, you've sacrificed. We have stripped sacrifice of its power and its authority. We do not know what it means. Listen to me, sacrifice is not your abstract abstract gestures of devotion. I think we need that next slide. Sacrifice is not your abstract gestures of devotion. Sacrifice is Christ's mind being epitomized in our mind. It is a change in the way that we think. It is a change in the way that we choose to look at people. It is a change in the way that we posture ourselves. It is a change in the pattern of our choices. Sacrifice is not what you do when you tithe. Sacrifice is not what you do when you meet with your disciple. Sacrifice is a heart and a mind that chooses to take upon the form of a servant and make ourselves of no reputation before mankind. That's what Philippians teaches us. That it is a mind. It is a mindset. So while in Philippians, sacrifice is receiving Christ's mind, if we go to Romans chapter 12 verse 1, we find a different approach to the idea of sacrifice. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So sacrifice is not your abstract gestures of devotion. But it is also not a ministry chore. Sacrifice is not a ministry chore. Sacrifice is Christ's surrender epitomized in our surrender. It's Christ's mind and it's His body. It's our mind and our body. He gave His mind, He gave His body. We give our mind, we give our body. Our actions must be the actions of a servant. Many of us have filled our lives with faux sacrifice. Religious activity intended to, intended to appease our truer convictions. 
When ministry is service without sacrifice, we are guaranteed to grow weary in well-doing. See, Christ wants our minds and our lives to be, to be a sweet savor of surrender to Him. Holy and acceptable before Him. Which leads us to our point. Kai is only as strong as our personal decision to accept sacrifice. Sacrifice as defined by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you're not willing to give your mind, and if you're not willing to give your body and surrender to God, then you will fail to be used. You will grow weary. And this ministry will suffer for it. He has to have our mind. The pages of His book must enter in and consume the way we think. The actions of His life must be a constant remembrance to us of how we must live and act. Here's our, here's our questions. Write these down. Or photograph them or do whatever you need to do. Does remembering the sacrifice of the cross still convict you? Remember how overwhelming it was when you met Jesus Christ? And you learned of what He did for you? You know what that felt like, right? There's feelings associated with that. Righteous and holy feelings associated with how you perceive and understand the cross. Have you gone back to John recently? When you've lost your identity and you've forgotten who you're supposed to be, have you gone back to the Gospels? Have you looked at what Christ did for you? Does it still convict you? Does it hurt you? Does it cut you to the quick? Because if it hasn't, you're in danger. You're in danger. You're in danger of growing weary and well-doing. Has ministry become a chore? Or is it a joy? Can you say that obeying God is your chief endeavor in life? Serious questions. If you look at Philippians chapter 1, you jump down to verse 25. You know, Paul gives us a couple examples. Um, I'm sorry, chapter 2, I believe. This is what you get for not bringing your Bible up into the pulpit. I'm going to pull up my Bible here. Yeah, chapter 1. Chapter 2. <laughs> I'm good at this. Okay. Chapter 2. Verse 25. Paul gives us an example of what this looks like. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. Because that ye have heard that he had been sick 
For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only uh, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. Not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Epaphroditus. Do you count yourself, your life dear? Our lives are nothing without him. Let's move on. Merit, merit versus grace. Merit versus, versus grace. Personal aims and strivings versus God's divine enterprise. You know, another reality of coming up in our day and age is the cultural acceptance of the meritocracy. Big word, sorry. Which is to say, the belief that we can progress and move forward based on merit and action, that we can earn what we set out to attain. You know, rap music is the perfect example of this. I mean, I have to hear Drake. Guys, you know how much I have to listen to Drake being a high school teacher? These kids freaking love that guy. He is the worst. He's the worst. Emo rap. The dude makes emo rap. But rap music is the perfect example of this. See, we love self-made millionaires with the drive to build uh, empires out of nothing. Yeah? Actually, Drake was born into privilege. So, you know, but we love that story. I mean, that's what every rap song is about. That and a couple other things that I can't say in the pulpit. But it's about making a way for yourself. Doing it. In my own power, I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody says. Forget everybody. I'm going to do it. And they go it alone. You know what this is? This is humanism. This is the survival of the fittest. And it's religion. And it's very deceptively made its way into the church. Many of us attribute our successes to internal characteristics such as talent and hard work. You know, we think about ministry a lot of times like we think about our jobs. That if we just work hard enough at it, and we just show ourselves hard workers, then we're going to be successful. That's how we think about ministry. That's how we think about God's economy. Paul reminds us here in verse 12, listen. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a lot to say about that. Okay? The idea, the concept here is, make sure that you're saved. Make sure that you found forgiveness. 
constantly relying on the work of salvation. Exercise that. Work it out. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is God's work within us that gives us the capacity to live His will and do His good pleasure. And if we forget that, we are in danger of destroying the ministry that God has given us to do. Most churches today, most Laodicean churches today, function in an economy of working hard, doing and running their church like a business. And if they do the right things, if they follow the right prescription, they will see good things happen, they will have success, and they will be as Laodicean as anyone could possibly be. They will achieve nothing for the kingdom. And if we choose to think of ourselves in terms of what we can do for God, we will fail as a ministry. Kyle will be worthless. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 says, And such trust have we through Christ to God to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Our value in ministry is not in our hard work or our ambition. Leaders, hear me on that. Our value in ministry is not in our hard work or our ambition. Our value in the kingdom is not contingent on who knows the most. Some of you high-minded and learned individuals who scour knowledge in the peripheries of the internet, who seek to justify their positions by the tickling of your ears, who go to LFBI on a Saturday morning and seek to attain knowledge but have no intention of applying it whatsoever and do not know what it means to sacrifice for the brethren. You are in danger. Our value is not contingent on who knows the most. As young people coming up today, it would be very easy to convince yourself that it is your responsibility to earn a position in ministry. That you must gain the favor of your leadership. That you might strive to bear fruit for the kingdom. It is one of the greatest deceptions in all of church history to believe that we can do anything for God and that we might earn His favor. God forgive us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only... What I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? You are saved. You are saved because of your faith in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And you're going to continue in your flesh? Just like you didn't earn your salvation, you don't earn things in ministry. You submit. You obey. You remain full of faith. And listen, 
You even work really hard. But you don't get to lay claim on the fruit of God. That doesn't belong to you. The outcomes don't belong to you. The measurables do not belong to you. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. In other words, He ascribes merit. He ascribes value. He ascribes blessing. Where it would otherwise be a desolate dunghill. What do you have but filthy rags? What do you have to offer the King of Kings? What do you have to offer the one that died for you? Oh foolish Galatians. You would believe that you could bring anything to the table. It is a matter of faith and death. Kyle, let me explain something to you. You don't get to earn or lay credit on the successes of this ministry. And likewise, you don't get to beat yourself up when you don't meet your own expectations. Some of you guys, you hurt me. You hurt me real bad. When I hear you focusing on your failures. When you hold yourself to expectations that are unfair. Child of God. What have you done to earn the favor of God? He bestows it. You don't get to be proud. And you don't get to denigrate yourself. We must lay claim on grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So that whether we gain or we suffer loss, we still live in the reality of absolute acceptance in God. Key point number four. Kaya is only as strong as our personal decision to assent, which means to concur or agree to grace. Agree to it. Accept it. Live in it. Dwell in it. Rely on it. Be defined by it. As a ministry, we are weakened by a single person's decision to prove themselves. We are weakened by a single person's to seek to earn favor in their flesh. We are weakened by that. Our ministry must refuse a framework that absolutely uh, neglects to rely on God. He does all things through us. He does all things through us. He does all things through us. We are, we are vessels for His divine work. We are to obey and He is to supply. So here's questions. Do you think too highly of yourself in ministry? Any of us that have been around a while have struggled with that. So be honest with yourself. There's no reason not to be. Do you think too highly of yourself in ministry? And then here's the opposing question. 
Do you think too lowly of yourself in ministry? That somehow you have less value or you are less able? None of us are able. None of us are able. None of us are qualified. If it was a matter of qualifications, we would still be in the world. Lost in our sin. We do not live in filthy rags. Our works are filthy rags. We do not live in it. We live in grace. Are you seeking recognition when you serve? Very serious question. Are you seeking recognition? Affirmation is a great thing. We want affirmation. The body of Christ ought to offer one another affirmation because what affirmation says is you're headed the right direction, brother, and I'm with you. Sister, I see you're working and I'm with you in faith. God is using you. That's affirmation. But recognition, recognition is dangerous. Recognition is playing with fire. Recognition is you on a path to seeking reputation. And we are to take upon the form of a servant, having no reputation. These are the things that Kaya ought to be. These are the things that Kaya ought to believe. Because if we are going to go into Kansas City and win it for Christ, then we need to know who we will be moving forward. We have to know the parameters. We need, we need to know how we're going to define ourselves. Let's close this way. Verse 14. Verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. I wish I had time to camp out there. If that belongs to you this weekend, own it. That ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause. Also do ye joy and rejoice with me. We are to be lights in the world without shame, without variance, without wavering. And we are to be offered upon the sacrifice and the service of others' faith. And it is joy. It is joy to die for others. It is joy. And if we don't own that, then we will not be men and women of the kingdom. The worship team, please come up, if you don't mind. 
This service is not over until you reckon with God. I'm going to pray. If you need to pray, if you need counsel, you grab somebody, you go to the back, you do what you need to do. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. It's cutting, it's piercing. It destroys us. It tears us down. And it builds us up. God, who will we be? Those questions and acts. <laughs> Those questions, the, the question that Lydia asks, what must I do? That question ought to remain on our lips for the entirety of our lives. What shall I do? And your answer to us is to rest in the person of Jesus Christ, to obey, and to offer ourselves dead. We are sanctified this way. And we live the Great Commission this way. Lord, help us to come to you and say, Lord, what shall we be? What... what what might our vision be to reach this city? Such a wicked and perverse nation. Lord, would you use us? And the most important question, God, this morning is, as individuals, Lord, do we stand to rob you of grace? And do we stand to rob from the sacrifices for the sake of selfishness? God, help us. Lord, there are people here today who do not know you as their Savior. And with all my heart, I ask you, Lord, that you would make yourself irresistible right now. That the knowledge of who you are would come up before us and it would shatter our lives. And that there would be people who repent today of their sin for the first time. We need you, God. You are our friend. You are our Father. Come alongside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.